This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. How personalized can a financial plan be when it's created by one of those robo-advisors? Plugging in standard algorithm to calculate insurance need and future wealth of random human client. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting to know you always comes first. Together, we'll create a financial plan based on your specific goals. Find a local Farm Bureau advisor at fbfs.com slash protect. It's your future. Let's protect it. You're listening to the Bears Brothers podcast and postgame show. The place where Bears fans across the globe hang out online after every Bears game. Now get ready, because it's time to bear down. Welcome back, Bears fans, to another episode of the Bears Brothers Podcast. I'm your host, Littlewit, and I'm joined by my fellow Bears brother, Nicholas Moriano, and together we have a special treat for you all, as in just a moment, we'll have ESPN's Matt Bowen on the show to talk about the Bears and the upcoming draft. Nick, before we bring on Bowen, I just want to admit that I'm going to feel slightly out of place today because since you guys are both Iowa alumni, but in all seriousness, I know you've been working hard on getting him on the show. I'm glad it's came all it's came to fruition. You excited, man? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been working for a while just direct messaging Matt and just seeing if he's he's willing. He's just a busy guy. I mean, working for ESPN, doing what he does, one of the best in the business. But I'm so excited, so glad we were able to get him on tonight. Yeah, me too. And he'll be here in just a moment. So while we're waiting, I want to go ahead and talk about this Cam and Meredith situation that kind of developed over the course of, well, today. And for those who somehow have missed it, I just want to let you know that the Bears decided not to go ahead and match Cameron Meredith's offer from the New Orleans Saints. And I, for one, I find myself pretty perplexed by that as this is Ryan Pace's decision number one, but it's a confusing one at that because on the surface, it seemed to be a no-brainer to retain the kid, even with their concerns regarding his knee, because he came last year as the team's number one wide receiver. Now he's gone, and obviously Pace is making a move that he believes will be in the best interest of the team long term, but it's really hard to watch the kid go with no compensation, and now wide receiver becomes an extra need for the Bears a couple weeks before the draft. So yeah, we have Allen Robinson, but behind him the depth just got sliced extremely thin nick i want to know what are your thoughts on the manner here i think this is uh the wrong move really i mean ryan pace has done a great job all off season with the moves he's made but this is just this one i don't agree with like you said that receiving core now gets sliced down imagine the bears are one Allen robinson injury away from being the group that they were last year maybe even worse because now Cam Meredith is not there. You have to rely on Taylor Gabriel, Trey Burton, Kevin White, guys who are not really proven to be you know, a focal point in this offense. I just don't agree with the move. This is a guy that the Bears brought in themselves. They developed him. And then you just kind of let him go when 
you know, had they have like signed him to that that second round uh, tender, you know, the extra million that they would have kept Cameron Meredith. Who knows what he would have done in Matt Nagy's system? We saw him put up 880 yards, uh, 66 receptions, four touchdowns in Dow Loggins' offense. Imagine what he could have done here in Matt Nagy's. So I believe it's the wrong move and one that I hope the Bears don't regret. Yeah, I mean, if it's hard because when you look back at it, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. So a year from now, two years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to know if this was the right move or not. But right now, in my gut, it just does not feel like the right move. Nick, before Matt comes on here, I just want to know, do you think it all just comes down to, is it money or is it the knee? I think it's got to be the knee. Honestly, I think the, the money, the Bears had the money and they've been spending money, you know, all off season. And to not give a guy that you, you know, brought in and developed, like I said, you know, give him that money that he, he deserves. I think it's got to be the knee. And for some reason, the Bears just don't feel confident in what Cameron Meredith's his uh, progression, his development from that ACL tear, and obviously the Saints do, but it, I think it's all just, uh, you know, the injury, and the Bears were just not comfortable giving the money for it. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, it looks like Matt is ready to roll, and Nick, since you did put the effort behind the scenes to make this episode possible, I'm going to gracefully take a step back and let you go ahead and introduce him. So without further ado, take her away. Hey, Matt, how's it going? This is Nick. Hey, what's going on, Nick? How are you? Doing well. You know, Will and I were just talking about the Cameron Meredith situation, not re-signing him. I, I just want to hear your thoughts on that. I, I think it's honestly, Ryan Pace has done everything great up to this point in time in the offseason. But this is a move that I don't quite agree with. I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on the entire situation? Well, I think a lot of it comes down to what was reported today. If it's a medical issue, uh, if they didn't clear him or they don't think he'll be ready to play, then I completely understand Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. Uh, you know, in Coach Nagy's new offense, when you think of Coach Nagy's new offense, all you got to do is watch Kansas City film or watch Philly film. It's the same offense. It's a modern version of the West Coast. Think of West Coast passing with some spread concepts sprinkled in and some QB run game, a lot of play action, a lot of RPOs, a lot of quick games, a lot of throws inside the numbers. Okay, if you look at Cam Meredith in 2016, I want to say around 50% of his snaps were inside the numbers whether that's Alani in the slot, Alani is number three in the trips formation. When you do, he's count out outside in from the sideline, one, two, three. He can be productive inside the numbers. And if you go back and look at Cam Meredith's tape, he's not a blazer on film. I mean, I know he tested well uh, back at his pro day, but he probably plays at a four or five clip. And that's plenty, plenty enough speed at the wide receiver position. Uh, but what he does well is he's a very good route runner, And that doesn't usually happen that quickly with a, a wide receiver who has his, his body type, that longer frame or that linear frame. He does a good job sinking his hips. He generates some speed out of his cuts. He's not ultra dynamic after the catch. Uh, okay, we're not talking about Brandon Cooks here or someone like that. But he's, his ability to slip tackles, you see that on the 2016 film, he's had very good body control. Again, not a guy that's going to win a lot of contested 50-50 throws down the field. He's not a number one wide receiver. 
He's probably not a number two wide receiver, but he's in that mix as that number three inside guy. Do I think he would have fit? Probably. I think he would have fit in that offense. But then it comes down to the Bears believe he's worth the value that the Saints offer. The Saints believe that. That's why they gave him, what, five million, a little bit over $5 million guaranteed. Mm-hmm. They believe he'll be a fit for their offense. And I think he's going to bring a lot of upside to that offense. One, he's going to work with Drew Brees. Okay, when Drew Brees throws the ball, if he wants in the front shoulder or the back shoulder, guess what? That's where it goes. He's that accurate. He's that good. He's a future Hall of Famer. Sean Payton's offense. Do a great job with personnel and matchups and moving players around almost like chess pieces on the board to give them the proper matchups. I think he'll have some upside in that offense. But I also understand why Pace would move on from this. If he doesn't think he's worth the value, and if he thinks he's replaceable, you have to understand that about the NFL. At every point it doesn't, you know, with certain teams, they, they think you're replaceable. And a lot of times, almost everyone's replaceable. And if the Bears think that they did a, a solid enough job in free agency, bringing in Allen Robinson, bringing in Gabriel, bringing in Trey Burton, who I think is going to be that move tight end or that H-back slash fullback slash wide tight end that can do a lot of different things for you. They think they can win with that lineup. And also maybe go back to free agency after the draft and try to get some more competition during training camp. And look at the draft itself. I'm not saying that means the Bears are going to get a wide receiver at the top of the second round. We know they don't have a third-round pick. Does that mean they have to wait to the fourth round? Maybe so. Or is this a situation where they trade out? Where they trade out at number eight? If someone wants to move up and get a Baker Mayfield, do they trade back and try to pick up another day two pick to invest in a wide receiver position? Um, in my personal opinion, I, I think Cam Meredith, if you would slot him on this roster right now, he'd still be behind Robinson and probably behind Gabriel. So from that perspective, and when you add in the money and then coming off a very severe knee injury, I can understand why they made the move. I know a lot of fans aren't happy about it, guys. I understand that because he was very productive. This is the thing. He's productive on that 2016 tape. For Brian Hoyer, a little bit of Jay Cutler, and a lot of Matt Barkley at the end of the season. Okay. He wasn't playing with Tom Brady. He was not. So he made a lot of plays playing with backup-level quarterbacks as well. And he did flash on tape. He's got some good tape. And maybe this also, there's something else to think about. Kevin White, okay, if I'm a coach uh, in Chicago right now, um, part of a new coaching staff, it's a fresh start for Kevin White, I'm going to have some confidence there, but I'm also in the back of my mind not going to count on anything. And the thing that Kevin White lacks, and this has just happened, this is injuries. I went through injuries in my career as well, is that accountability. If you can't be on the field in the NFL, then you lack accountability. Okay, and in Kevin White's case, it's because of the injuries. He hasn't been able to develop. And because of those lower leg injuries, I really question if he will ever reach that upside that Ryan Pace saw when he drafted him in the top 10. I really doubt he will get there. But can he contribute? Can he contribute? And with them moving Cam Meredith, in my opinion, the Bears expect him to contribute in some way. Yeah, no doubt about it, Matt. And, you know, this offense, it's bursting with potential really and just over a week ago you published an article on the 10 rookies who are primed to break out in their second seasons and uh, personally I couldn't help but smile when I saw one name on the list the very first one Mitchell Trubisky you mentioned everything that we're painfully aware of like last year's limited offense but also provided the positives that we've been high on this offseason including Nagy Helfrich, the new system, and the playmakers that you already mentioned, Robinson, Gabriel, and Burton. Now, it's one thing for us to expect a breakout year from our quarterback, but can you maybe take a moment and explain to us fans, like, why should we be excited about Trubisky and his potential in this new offense? 
Well, the first reason you should be excited is because the confidence the team has in him. And, and why I say that is look where the money went in free agency. Okay? Every mm-hmm. move they made in free agency was to facilitate more production out of the quarterback position. And you might see that in the draft as well. At number eight, if Quentin Nelson, the guard from Notre Dame, is on the board and they draft him, they're drafting him for Trubisky. Okay, that's what they're doing. They're continuing to build around their young quarterback. But in terms of why I think he can have a breakout season, because we saw flashes last year, and I agree with everything you just said. Very limited offense. Very limited skill set at the wide receiver position. Very predictable offense. Very archaic offense. Yeah. If I'm a defensive coordinator, I would love the game plan against the Bears last year. I would love to. <laughs> I'd put my corners and press man and challenge those receivers. I would not let them off the line of scrimmage. I'd roll the safety down and get an eight-man front, and i put a free safety in the middle of the field. So you're not going to run the ball on us. The wide receivers aren't going to separate enough. I don't have a free safety that's going to drive top down and put my pads in those wide receivers if they dare to go across the middle of the field. Okay, because it was very predictable. You knew what they were going to do based on down and distance, game situation, and formation alignment. This year with Coach Nagy, you're going to see an offense that looks almost futuristic compared to what they had last year. Like I mentioned at the top, West Coast with – the modern version of the college spread system incorporating into that. That doesn't mean you're going to see Trubisky carry the ball 12, 15 times a game. No, but can you get four to five or four to six carries a game? Sure. you see a lot of jet motion. You're going to see a lot of pre-snap movement. You're going to see them use Cohen as that matchup piece. Because I think when you look at last year's tape with Cohen, especially the inconsistent touches, you know, I'm watching these games and I'm going back and watching the tape and I'm saying, where are the where are the high-volume touches for him? Mm-hmm. Why aren't they getting him, in, him incorporated more in the passing game? Why aren't they using more edge runs with him? You know, there's a lot of different things you can do with him. He can be kind of that quote-unquote joker in the offense, where that means carrying the ball out of the backfield, running inside zone, outside zone, part of the zone read, part of jet motion, part of playing in the slot and running simple routes. Guys, I'm not talking about anything complicated here. This goes back 20 years in football. Can you beat a beat a uh, slot defender on a flat route, an option route, a slant route? Sure he can. And that's what you want to do is get the ball in his hands inside the numbers, okay, where he has space to work with. But going back to that offense, you're going to see a lot of quick passing game. You're going to see an offense that is designed to create open throwing windows. That's what Coach Nagy's offense is all about. You're going to go back to the Chiefs, the Chiefs state, and the Philly state. You're going to see more run-pass options. For the listeners out there, run-pass option, basically what it is, it's a run and a pass paired together on the same play. And it all comes down to the quarterback. You know, we make so much of a big deal about these run pass options or RPOs, and that's coming off the Super Bowl because Coach Peterson, who I played with a long time ago, way back in Green Bay, did an excellent job with Nick Foles. They adapted their offense to fit their quarterback, and that's coaching. When we're talking about high school on Friday nights or Sundays in the pro game, that's coaching. Adapt to your personnel. And they ran more RPOs. But really what RPOs come down to is the offense should always be right based on the quarterback's read. A lot of times it's very simple. If there's five defenders in the box, you hand the ball off every time. If your quarterback doesn't hand the ball off, you sit them and take a the game. If there's six defenders in the box, now you read it. Now you're going to read and roll down safety or a linebacker. If there's seven defenders in the box, you throw it every time. It's really that simple. It's really that simple. You guys know I coach at IC Catholic Prep mm-hmm. here in Elmhurst. And we run the same system in terms of our RPOs and what our quarterbacks are looking at, what they're counting pre-snaps. So really a lot of it's based on numbers. And that's going to be a part of it. And that's going to give them options. Again, we talk about Cohen. Put him on the bubble outside. 
Okay, so if you got seven in the box, guess what? You throw the ball to Cohen. That's how easy it is. That's how easy it is. If there's seven in the box, you throw the quick pop pass to Trey Burton. Or you throw the backside slant. We call it X-pop to Allen Robinson. Whatever it may be, but that's going to be a part. And I think what you're talking about here is I'm not using – I don't like to use the term simplifying an offense ever, whether we're talking about the high school quarterbacks, I coach, or pro-level guys. Okay. Really what you're doing is you're going you're gonna to make the game faster for them. And that's what you want. You're going to add tempo. You're going to add tempo. A lot of tempo. Play fast. Quick reads. Get the ball out of his hands. Create matchups. Take calculated deep shots. I mean, Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic. Our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep. All night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. Really, guys, if you think about a pro-style offense right now, much different than when I came into the NFL. When I came to the NFL, pro-style offense meant, what, five and seven-step drops. And no one does that anymore. No one. Pro-style offense now is quick game play action, RPOs, inside vertical throws and movement. A lot of window dressing. A lot of window dressing. You can run the same route 15 different ways based on personnel, alignment, information, and pre-snap movement. Okay, so the game has changed so much. And that's really the pro-style offense I envision moving forward is what Coach Nagy is bringing to Chicago. And that's a fit for Trubisky. That is a fit. You want him to move. You want to use his athleticism, his accuracy on the move, his quick release. Mm-hmm. We know he has the arm strength to push the ball outside the numbers. And, yeah, there's going to be throws outside the numbers. There'll be deep corner routes. There'll be comebacks. There'll be out routes. But the majority of a West Coast-based system is the ball thrown between the numbers and the hash. That's where you want it to go. Why? It's a higher percentage throw for your quarterback. If it's third and, and seven to ten, I'd much rather throw a square in than throw a 17-yard comeback, right? Right. Put the quarterback in a position where he's can succeed and also play to his athleticism. That's why you want him to pull the ball on his own read every couple of times. And trust me, guys, when you get that on tape, that changes everything from a defensive perspective. You see that on tape, one, you have to have someone that can do it in practice. Okay, so your scout team quarterback better be able to run a little bit. If he's not, then you better put a wide receiver back there, a scout team wide receiver to simulate it. But guess what? you got to practice for that now. you got to practice for his own read you got to practice for calling on jet sweep. you got to practice for all that stuff. And it's not as easy as it sounds to put together a defensive game plan to stop it. And really what this goes back to is what we talked about, bringing in those free agent guys on the offensive side of the ball. They were brought in for a reason. To fit in the scheme, obviously, but more importantly, to make plays for the quarterback. Any young quarterback has to have guys who can make plays. Look, I look at Allen Robinson's film, and we all know he's coming off an ACL. But – if the Bears cleared him, then they're confident he's going to be ready to play. If you look at the 2016 tape, a little different than 2015. 2015, Jacksonville had a poor season of playing from behind. You saw a lot of deep ball throws late in games, down the field, contested throws. And A-Rod can do that for you. He can go up and high point the ball. He can make plays on contested catches or 50-50 throws down the field. But what I really look at is the 2016 The guy's a technician. That's what you want to wide receiver position. You want a guy who is fundamental base at the position in terms of his route running, in terms of his ability to create separation, and to win based on the defender's leverage as a line of scrimmage. Is the inside or is the outside? That's how I'm going to adjust my route. 
That's how I'm going to beat him. Clean routes, red zone production, a lot of red zone production when he was in Jacksonville. That's what, again, Trubisky needs when they move the ball inside the 20-yard 20, 20 line. He needs a number one guy mm-hmm. that you know, says, you know what, they're in press coverage outside. I'm throwing the fade, or he's off. I'm going to throw the slant. My guy's got to win for me, and I think he will. So, Matt, I, we, I think we all agree that this offense go, is going to go from archaic to futuristic and actually be an offense that we can be proud of to see on there on Sundays. But I want to know from a defensive uh, perspective, especially from a defensive back, how difficult it how difficult is it to defend an offense like that it has so many options on one given play? And there's obviously more weapons around Trubisky now uh, from a safety who has to utilize communication with all the other guys on the field. How difficult it is it for a guy like that to defend an offense like this? Well, it's very hard. And you brought the key term communication. Look, the best secondaries talk. They talk all the time. If you don't talk in the secondary, you don't have a chance. Not, not in the NFL. The communication will be key for any team that plays the Bears this year. Being able to adjust to movement, whether it's shifting, whether it's motion, whether it's guys lined out of position. You look at what Kansas City did with Tyreek Hill, line them up at tailback sometimes. You know, they do different things. Why? To test you as a defense. Can you adjust? Can you slow your heart rate down and play? Instead of panicking when a guy motions into the backfield. Instead of throwing up your arm and saying, what do we do? And then the ball snapped. You better have a plan in place. That's why I brought up the preparation. It's going to be hard to prepare against this offense. There will be a lot of moving parts to this offense. There's going to be a lot of tendency breakers as well. So communication, eyes. The second one is eyes. You better play with eye discipline against this Bears offense. Because like I talked about with RPOs, the best thing is this goes back to Philly in the Super Bowl. The best thing is their RPOs and the play action look, look almost identical. Now, you have to have the ability to read high head or low head. And high head or low head is for your offensive line read. If, if their helmet is low and they're firing out, that's usually a run, right? You simplify it. If the offensive tackle stands straight up, well, it's probably a pass. And it's easy to talk about. But when you get in the third quarter of a football game and you're tired, maybe you got a banged-up ankle, and you've been on the field for an eight-play drive, well, some of that stuff drifts away. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and your eyes get lazy. When your eyes get lazy as a defensive player, you get beat. And that's usually what happens in the secondary. Look, all, all these guys in the NFL can play. It's not about talent. It's, it comes down to simple things, communication, the ability to play with proper vision, and then third is your technique. All the size-speed stuff we talk about in the combine, it doesn't matter in those situations. Give me the secondary that's going to talk to each other pre-snap. Call out the formation. Understand what the difference is in that opposing offense between third and two to six and third and seven to ten, you're going to get different routes, right? Tell yeah, me what happens when, when a tight end is flexed up in the formation. What are the top routes he runs in third and two to six? You better know that stuff. If you don't, you don't have a chance. And now when you're going against Coach Nagy's offense, that tight end is going to move. There's going to be play action sprinkled in. There's going to be some QB runs sprinkled in. There's going to be a lot of screens, a lot of wide receiver screens and tailback screens. So you better be ultra prepared to play against this football team. Yeah, no, really good stuff there, Matt. And sticking with the defense, I obviously the Bears, they need some help at linebacker, both inside and out. I think edge rusher just a little bit more. But I want to know, if you had to choose, uh, if you were Ryan Pace, between a guy like Tremaine Edmonds and Roquan Smith, who would you probably find to be a better fit right now in this Bears defense? Because this is a debate that I've been seeing a lot of media and, of course, a lot of Bears fans having right now. 
Well, I'm going to take Roquan Smith, uh, and that's because what you just said is ready to play right now. And 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 Edmonds has the top ten measurements, okay? And that's usually what we see in the top ten. We've seen it with Ryan Pace, with Kevin White, his athletic testing and size, speed, height, weight, and speed. That's what it is. Leonard Floyd, elite athleticism. Mitchell Trubisky ran four six, four six range. Okay, very good athlete. Top right. ten players are usually uh, a lot of measurables. A lot of athletic testing is involved in that. Now, Ro- Roquan Smith it does not have the body type of Edmonds. Ed- Edmonds is six four two fifty. He ran a four five four forty. He's also nineteen years old. Okay, tremendous upside, and that's the other word, upside. But in terms of getting a football player right now that I would want in my defense, give me Roquan Smith. There you go. I'm you doing know, some work for the S- for the SEC networks during the draft. I'm going to do some work for the SEC networks. I've been really deep into the SEC film uh, this winter and early spring. And that Georgia tape, now when he put that stuff on, Roquan Smith pops in that tape. He pops all the time. Whether it's his angles to the football, sideline to sideline speed, his explosion on contact. He plays like a leader. He's physical. He's tough. He can get nasty. That's what you want in a linebacker. And the and it doesn't matter if you play a four three, a bare front, a thirty four. I don't care. You're gonna be a nickel, seventy percent of your snaps anyways. And he's the ideal sub package linebacker. Run and hit and find the football. Just rough plays. Be a leader. And that's nothing against Evans. Because I think Edmonds is going to be a tremendous football player. And I do believe he's going to go in his top ten. He might even be gone before the Bears are on the clock, to be honest, because of his measurables, because of the upside, because of his age. There's so much growth that you can create there with the proper coaching, with the proper system, with the right fit and the right guys around him. He can be a superstar. But to answer your question right now, a plug-and-play starter, that's Roquan Smith for me. Uh, I know a lot of Bears fans, uh, not me, I'm on the Roquan Smith train. I actually have him going to the Bears in my recent mock draft. Um, but can you explain why maybe his lack of size shouldn't be a factor right now? You kind of mentioned that you're in sub-packages about 70% of the time. Linebackers, their duties are changing more so now than ever. Uh, can you explain why his lack of size doesn't worry you personally? Well, what people are going to bring up about lack of size is the ability to stack and shit whether someone's running an ISO play at him or an off-tackle play, can he get off a block? Can he take a block head-on, stack on that block, defeat the blocker, and make the tackle? Can he play that type of physical game for four quarters for 16 weeks out of the season? That's when you look at the size. What is he? He's a little bit over six feet tall, 232 pounds, 230 pounds. But in my opinion, the game has changed so much. Just going back to what we talked about with, with with Coach Nagy's offense. Can he play inside zone when the teams are running out of three wide receiver personnel? And he is your sub-package linebacker? Yeah, I think he can. Can he match your running back out of the backfield? Sure. You know, maybe not a guy like Cohen, but Cohen has unique traits. Okay, but can he match up to a running back out of the backfield? Sure he can. Can he play over a tight end? Can he get physical with his hand? Does he have the flexibility in his hips? Sure he does. Go back to his pro day workout and watch him drop in the cup. He moved like a strong safety. He moved like a strong safety. So I think those concerns uh, about size, again, it goes back to what we were talking about. In terms of where guys are drafted based on their height, weight, and speed measurements, he has the speed. It's just the height and the weight. Will he hold up over 16 weeks? Can he play inside the box for 16 weeks? My question is, how often is he going to be playing in the box? Right. Unless you're playing Jacksonville. 16 weeks straight, how often is he going to be playing in the box? 
So that's why I don't have as many concerns because I'm looking at here too. I'm taking the best football player. I think it's where the Bears need to be at right now. I'm taking the best football player. You have to get competitive now. You have to get competitive. You have to be able to compete with Green Bay and Detroit and Minnesota. That has to start happening. So for me, with that number eight pick, I'm not going to focus so much on the upside. I'm going to focus on get on the field, play for me on day one, and be an impact player. There you go. Absolutely. And this kind of leads into my next question for you. I want to know, what's your personal stance between need and best player available? And does that perhaps change based on the current round that the team's drafting in? Um, I think in an ideal world, you, you have the best player available that also fits your need. But that, <laughs> True. It really doesn't happen very often. I think you take the best player. Take the best football player. Take the best football player. I like if it. If the Bears are sitting, sitting there at at number eight, and they want to look at the secondary, address someone from the secondary. Okay? I, I know what they've done in the offseason, but draft the best player available. That's why if Quentin Nelson is there at number eight, they say, well, do we need a guard? Well, is he the best football player? Because what you ultimately want on every team is you want competition in every position. That's how you really get better. I mean, let's just be honest. That's how you really get better. You want guys to push each other in practice. You want guys who are starters to look over the shoulder a little bit at number two because he's told me to take his job. And that's going to improve, one, your practice tempo, all right, your practice environment. And it's also going to improve the overall depth and production of your roster. If you got guys that can compete at positions, guys that uh, you might say you have dual starters at the position, I have no problem with that if I'm a coach. I want that as a coach. I want to put together the best 53-man roster I can so I'm going to take the best football player available on the right. No arguing right there, man. I mean, it's like playing backyard football. Who are you going to pick up first in your, you know, your pickup game? Just pick the best guy available. But I got mm-hmm. a question from my former professor and a guy you know very well, and uh, Scott Docterman. Uh, he he's intrigued yeah. by both your general and specific thoughts on defensive backs, schemes, and fit. And like we said earlier, uh, about 70% of the time, NFL defenses are in these sub packages with at least five DBs on the field. So his question is, how does that impact the top four DBs in this class? And he says Fitzpatrick, Ward, James, and Jackson. Why would one work well in one place and not in the other? Well, uh, Fitzpatrick is interesting to me because I love everything about his state. Yes. And everything I've heard come out of Tuscaloosa is an A-plus kid, super high character leadership skills, preparation skills. He does it all the time, whether it's at practice with Coach Satan in the weight room and film meetings. He's a leader, and that's what you want in your secondary. It doesn't, ha- again, doesn't have top 10 testing numbers. We're in a 4-4-6. We look at his vertical jump and his broad jump. They don't mesh with a safety being drafted in the top 10. They really don't. But, again, I look at what he can do. Now, here's the thing. You don't want to draft making Fitzpatrick and play cover two all day. You don't want to do that. Scheme fit does matter when you're targeting prospects and when you're evaluating prospects. Because I don't see him as a corner. Some, I mean, look, some teams might grade him as a corner. But I think he's a little tight in the hips to play outside versus NFL speed and to be able to transition and recover when you're beat because you're going to get beat as a rookie quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I think he's more of a tyrant math. Okay, that's how I view him. That's the impact I want him to have based on his college tape if he's in the right fit because he's really a slot safety. That's what he is. And he's not a true cover safety. I'm not talking about a slot corner. I'm talking about a slot safety. The slot safety is a lot of different things. They can drop in zone coverage. They can pattern match a seam route. 
They can blitz off the edge. They can play as a rover. They can tackle in space. They can become your dime linebacker. They can do a lot of different things. They can rotate back to the middle field. What does all that add up to? I want Megan Fitzpatrick inside the numbers. That's what I want. Whether it's a single high or whether it's rolled down, that's reason to have, I think, the greatest impact. He's tough. He plays hurt. He does all the things that a coach would want. He just doesn't have those top ten numbers, and he's kind of a hybrid player that is based on scheme fit. So that's going to be interesting with Minka to see where does he go. It'll be interesting, too, if he's on the board number eight when the Bears on the clock. Again, what we talked about, adding talent. Would Vic Fangio be able to use, utilize a guy with the skill set and versatility of Fitzpatrick? I think he would. Yeah. Really oh, do. yeah. No doubt about it. I think he would. Denzel Ward from Ohio State, electric speed, electric, 4-3-2-40. Doesn't have great size. Okay. Is it an ultra-physical tackler? He will tackle. But his coverage skills are excellent. He's sticky in coverage. He uses a technique that we used to call like a taxi technique or a, a, a shuffle scoop. It's when you, you line up and press, okay? Imagine you're, you're playing press coverage against a wide receiver. And instead of jamming and using your offhand, you shuffle back at the line of scrimmage. It's very hard to do and very hard to teach because you need an elite athlete to do it. And what that does is it allows you to stay square. And when you're square and on top of the route, you own the route. You own the wide receiver then. Now it comes down to anticipating where the break is. Okay, and there's another thing. In the NFL, outside of a three-step game, so what is a three-step game? It's slant, hitch, you know, speed out, something like that. Every route breaks between 12 and 15 yards, every single one. So you know where the routes are going to break, right? You know exactly where the routes are going to break. And if you're on top of the route, guess what? You're going to make plays in the ball. And Josh Jackson out of Iowa, yeah. Josh Jackson out of Iowa, different skill set. Six-foot corner. Okay, six-foot corners. If you're six-foot and above, you're not going to have the transition speed of war. You're just not. You have a different body type. You have a longer stride. Right? But Josh Jackson can play press. He can stay on top of the routes. A willing tackler, again, not – you know, not an ultra-physical tackle, but a guy that will stick his nose in there and get dirty in the run game. The thing about Josh Jackson that pops on film is his ball production. He's a former wide receiver. His ball production was crazy last season. Multiple pick sixes. He had eight interceptions. And a bunch of plays in the football breaking up passes. He's got natural instincts. And here's the thing about guys that make plays in the ball. Like a guy like Tyron Matthews. You can't teach that. That's not a skill you can teach in film. You can get make make guys more aware. Okay, you can make guys more aware. All right, of where they are on the football field and reading reading like we talked about before down in distance. What what a formation is telling. What a bunch compared to a stack lineman is telling. You you can do that, but in terms of natural instincts or natural awareness, you can't teach stuff like that. You can't. There are certain guys who just make plays in the ball. And what Josh does well is he stays on top of the route. What happens with that? When you're, again, when you're on top of the route, now you can get your eyes back into the quarterback. When the quarterback takes his ball off the hand, you go. You go. You go and make a play. And I think Josh Jackson is a round one great. Now, he didn't run great, again. But he's a six-foot corner. And then I look at Marcus Peters, who's now with the L.A. Rams, and his combine testing numbers, again, the four fives. But that's the type of player comp I look at in terms of uh, with Josh Jackson, what he can do in the secondary and making plays in the ball. 
There we go. Uh, so I want to continue with this draft talk, and I want to know uh, how much stock should we maybe put into the Bears or maybe just any team for that matter, their pre-draft visits? And can you maybe walk us through what typically goes on during these visits? Well, I wasn't good enough to go through pre-draft visits as a six-round pick. But I know <laughs> sorry guys to bring, I'm sorry to bring okay. that up. <laughs> and uh, they're, they're different. You know, they call them top 30. They're really not top 30. A lot of them are done uh, for medical. And you'll see guys that you haven't been studying that are being invited out for pre-draft visits. And some of those guys are graded as undrafted free agents, but you want to get a medical on them. Maybe it's a guy who didn't go to the combine either. You want to get a medical on him, a late-round pick, because you he's one of those guys you're going to target at the end of the draft or when undrafted free agency starts. He's going to be high on your board at that point in the draft. And sometimes they're just straight-out smoke screens. You're bringing, in, you're bringing in guys to make other teams panic. You're bringing in guys to put out false messages about your draft plans. That's what you're doing. If you're a team in the top 10 and you don't want to draft a quarterback, I'd bring them all in. I'd bring them all in. And try to get someone to trade up with you, right? But other times, oh, yeah. it's also just, just to get face-to-face with the person. Because this is really a people business. It's all about relationships. It's all about being able to trust, trust each other and have accountability with each other. So if you bring in a guy, especially at a key position like a quarterback, you want to get to know him. You want to get to know his personality and how that personality is going to mix with your locker room. Because if it doesn't, you don't have a chance. Look, at the quarterback position, you are the leader of the football team. Whether you want to be or not, I don't care. You are the leader of the football team. You have to have the respect of everyone in that locker room. you got to be the guy when you're down two scores at the start of the fourth quarter that everyone believes that you're going to bring him back. Everyone believes you're going to bring him back. You have to have a professional approach to everything. Because everyone's always watching you, whether you're lifting weights, whether you're in the film room, whether you're getting treatment, everyone's going to watch you. So if I'm in a position where I do want to get a quarterback, whether in Cleveland, the New York Giants, Denver Broncos, the Buffalo Bills, Arizona Cardinals, even the New England Patriots, who have to start developing behind Brady, the New Orleans Saints have to start developing behind Drew Brees. The clock's ticking at those two places. I'm going to bring in a lot of quarterbacks to get a feel for who they are as people and how they're going to fit with the rest of my football team and how they're going to work with my coaching staff. That's so important. It's something we don't talk about enough. You know, the term we always use is intangibles. I played two years with Brett Favre. I thought his leadership and intangibles were fantastic. I loved those two years playing with Brett Favre. I couldn't sit down as a defensive special teams player because I wanted to see what he's going to do next in the football field. That's Deshaun awesome. Watson had excellent, Deshaun Watson had excellent intangibles at Clemson. And he should have been drafted higher than he was. And we notice that now. I know he had the knee injury, but watch his tape last year. And you can see the different energy he brought to that football team when he came in for Tom Savage. You can see the different energy. Whether you're watching the TV copy or watching the film, players played with more energy because Deshaun Watson was on the field with them. you got to have that at that position. you got to have the toughness at that position. you got to have guys who can play hurt. Obviously, I saw that all the time with Farr. They never miss games you got to have that at that position. And I think that's part of the pre-draft process as well in terms of those top 30 visits. But it's also, like I said, the smoke screens and get medicals on guys that you might target late in the draft. There you go. You know, all this talk about quarterbacks has my mind kind of scrambling a little bit. So I'm curious, like, where would you maybe rank Mitchell Trubisky if you were part of this year's draft class with Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, and Lamar Jackson? Where would Trubisky fit? That's a great question. 
That is, I've, and I've never been asked that question. I think that's an excellent question. Um, man, that's tough. It's tough because this is why. Because I don't know who's going to go number one. I don't. I think it's Sam Darnold. I think. I think. But Josh Allen has unique measurables. Okay, he's built like Carson Wentz. He's 6'5", 240, he's athletic. Okay, with an arm that uh, has natural arm talent, again, that you can't just create. <laughs> right. And a kid growing up, you're born with you're born with that stuff. So if someone's going to fall in love with those with those measurables and that athleticism, and that size, she going to go higher. Josh Rosen, the most natural thrower of this quarterback class. Where does he fit? Baker Mayfield. I love Baker Mayfield. I love watching this tape. I think he's a perfect fit for the, what, I, what we talked about before that modern pro style game that we're seeing now. And Lamar Jackson, I'll tell you what, Lamar Jackson. I played against Michael Vick. And that's what Lamar Jackson's tape reminds me of. Uh, electric talent, unique traits at the position. A guy that can pull the ball down if you're playing man coverage and you have no one to spy him and no one to match him as a spy. It's one thing to draw a spy and a chalkboard itself looks great. This awesome versus scout team, too. It's changed when you play against Michael Vick. I was playing with the Packers when Vick knocked us out of the playoffs. We were 12 and 14. Jeez. And Michael Vick in his second year came with a Lambo in the snow. First Packers home loss ever. And we lost because we couldn't tackle. We couldn't contain him. We couldn't rush the same way. You can't rush the same way. You cannot against athletic quarterbacks. And with that elite athleticism that Lamar Jackson has, if he gets outside of the pocket and you're playing man coverage, it's over. It's time to strike out the band and play the fight song. He's running to the end zone. I know you run a 40. I don't care. I watch his tape. He's there's no doubt he's a high 4-3 guy. That's what he is. That's what he is. Now, there's things he has to correct. There's things he has to develop. Sometimes the ball sails on him. So, saying outside the number throws, look at deep seven routes, which is a corner route, or deep out routes. He has some misses there. And it really comes down to his foot and arm mechanics. But that can be developed. I really believe that. That can be developed if he gets time. That's why I like him in the later part of the first round to a team like New Orleans. To a team like the New England Patriots. To a team like the New York Giants in the top of the second round. I like him in a place we can learn from the veteran and have some time. But the key with Lamar is, from a coaching perspective, one is working on those mechanics. It's two is adapting your playbook a little bit. Because if you don't, you should be fired. Because <laughs> I would love to coach him. I would love to coach him. I would never leave the office. I'd be on the chalkboard all the time. Think of new ways we can maximize talent. I think he can be a starting quarterback in the NFL. I think he'd be a very good quarterback. So that group right there, where does Trubisky fit? I mean, he's up with, he, with this group because you look at Baker. Baker doesn't have the measurements, right? He's just a little bit over six feet tall. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's going to knock him a little bit. Josh Allen has the measurements, but his tape is inconsistent against lower-level competition. Sam Darnold turned the ball over too much this year. Josh Rosen has an injury history. I mean, that all of them have are going to have on their scouting report some question marks. And then when Mitch came out, and what was this, you know the question marks about Mitch where he only played 13 games, 13 starts. Right? There wasn't that much tape to really focus on. Right. That was more upside pick. And like we talked about earlier, you saw some of those flashes this past year. Even in that old-school offense, you start, saw some flashes of what he can be. Where he would fit now, I would think, would be based on his size, his speed, his upside. He he would be in the mix with 
I'm not saying he'd be the number one overall pick in this year's class, but I think he'd be in the mix in the top five. I do. Because you saw flashes on his tape from last year. You saw rookie moments too, which you're going to have. Anyone who drafts a rookie quarterback who expects him to be perfect, uh, you know, that's not reality. Big man through 28 interceptions with rookies. Okay? You're going to make mistakes. It's the only way you can improve. And I try to explain this to people sometimes is, you know, game reps are, are so valuable. And that's what one of the best things you can take from Mitch in his 2017 season is the reps he has. I don't care if they were great. I don't care if they were poor. I don't care if they are in the middle. It's the reps. It's being on the field. Be able to process NFL speed. Be able to make some adjustments. Like I said, as old school as that offense was, he still had to make adjustments at the line of scrimmage. He still had to run an offense. He still had to command a huddle. He still had to be a leader on the field. He needed that experience. Okay? And that's going to make him a much better football player this year. And that goes back to what we talked about. Now you have much more talent around him. Now you have a scheme that's going to cater more to his ability because that's so important. And the other thing I think is, is vital for this Bears team is bringing Vic Fangio back. Okay? Because if you have two sides of the ball learning new te- terminology, that can be hard. It's really hard. It's going to be tough enough for the offense to learn a new set of terminology, a new way to practice, new adjustments. Routes may be stemmed differently. A lot of different things go into that. But you have your defensive leader back and a lot of your nucleus back on defense because of what they did in the secondary during pre-agency to bring their guys back. They should be rolling on the first LTA. They should be rolling. They should be calling things out. They should be much more developed in the offense. And that's how it always is. If you ever go to first day of training camp practice, the defense should win. They should, because defensive football at its core is alignment and assignment and using your eyes. Read and react. It's a run read, go down, you know, put your pads on someone. Not very complicated, right? Offense can be a little more robotic at times. and You need more reps. You need more chemistry. You need to play together much longer. So that you'll probably see that at the beginning of training camp. But that's also great competition. When we talk about competition, you've got to have competition in camp. If I'm Coach Nagy, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with the defense being a couple steps ahead because that's going to challenge my quarterback. It's going to challenge my offensive line. It's going to challenge my wide receiver because they're going to be learning a new system while having to compete against the defense is a couple steps ahead and start a kid. Matt, this is the last question that I want to ask you. You're part of a, a select group of men having played in the National Football League and playing your college ball at Iowa. I want to know, what are, what are your best memories from your playing days? I've heard the story about your first career interception against – Arguably the greatest football player of all time in Tom Brady, who was also selected one pick uh, after you. And then I heard about your your start on Monday Night Football against the Bears, uh, which obviously is your childhood team. And we'll save that story for another day. At Cenex, we're locally owned and operated. So your community is our community. That's why your Cenex goes far beyond the store. We fuel community connections by supporting local festivals, restoring town monuments, and renovating baseball fields. Now in its fourth year, we'll have contributed more than $400,000 to Cenex communities through our Hometown Pride initiative. Because community connections make the places we live so special. Cenex, powered locally. But what is just your best memory from your playing days in the NFL and our alma mater at the University of Iowa? 
Well, from the NFL, I mean, you, you brought up that Bears game. And that is a good story. <laughs> we, can tell, we can tell later. But I love that football game. That's one of my favorite games ever. Because it was different. It was unique. It was Monday Night Football in Champaign. Right? And for me, like I said, it's like playing against my childhood. And I got to start that night. And Favre opened up, hit Donald Driver, and like an 80-yard pass. And we put it on the Bears that night. And there were so many people there I knew. Okay? Uh, so many friends I grew up with family um, and just the uniqueness of it of not playing you know everyone's playing Chicago I get it and I have my they're back during my career but playing Champaign on Monday night against Chicago Bears the Bears were all blue uniforms too which was unique mm. try to fake field goal to, to try to hit her locker in a pass there's some unique things but uh, that's one of my favorite games obviously playing in the playoff stage I was lucky to play for uh, playoff teams in St. Louis and, and St. Louis too because uh, you know, I was drafted late in the sixth round um, and had to earn my spot basically on special teams. But going into the training camp, I always remember that. And I lined up, and it's Kurt Warner, it's Isaac Bruce, it's Torrey Holt, it's Marshall Falk, it's Isaac Keem, it's Rookie Pro, it's Orlando Pace at left tackle. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. <laughs> okay? That amount of speed on the football field. I've never seen anything like it. And two weeks later, you know, back then, training camp was real. I mean, we had two days, four weeks. We were down at Western Illinois University in Macomb. And that's rough, man, when you're hitting like that two times a day that long. So we brought the Tennessee Titans in. This is the year after the Rams won the Super Bowl in 99. We brought the Tennessee Titans in, and we did inside run drill. And inside run drill is you're basically putting a phone book. There's no passing. It's run into each other as hard as you can. I look back there. It's Frank Wycheck at tight end, Steve McNair at quarterback. Lorenzo Neal at fullback and Eddie George at tailback. And they ran off tackle at me. And I've done, I've done a bunch of radio now with Lo Neal. He's out in San Francisco. And Lo Neal hit me. I thought I was dead. Oh, <laughs> I mean, gosh. I've never been hit that hard in my life, right? And then even if you do defeat a block, now it's Eddie George. And Eddie George was 6'3 and a half, 240, right? So those are kind of my welcome to the NFL moments, but I, I really cherish those moments because it showed you how far you had to go as a football player play with the best in the league. Um, you know, I never played on a championship team. It was unfortunate. That team that gosh, the, that, that game we lost to, to Michael Vick and the Falcons still bothers me because that was a Super Bowl team. And this is how fragile NFL seasons are. Okay, so in week 17, we go out to the Meadowlands. This is back a long time. I mean, the Meadowlands still had grass, real grass. And to play Chad Pennington and the Jets. And all we had to do was win, and we got the number one seed. Uh, we would have been 13-3. and three. And we got blasted. I mean, we got blasted by the Jets. So six days later, now we're playing the Saturday night at home. And within six days, our season completely fell apart. We went from being possible number one seed and a Super Bowl favorite in the NFC to being on the couch at home. It happens that quickly. That's what makes the game, uh, I think, so great uh, because – one quarter, one bad quarter of uh, playoff football and send you home. Yeah, no but, mistake on special teams like we did. We had we had a punt block against Atlanta. So it's fourteen nothing before you know it. You know stuff like that gets you beat. You know at the high school level you can recover from that a little bit. Sometimes in college you can too if you have a great offense. You know a pro level quarterback playing for you can. Yeah, Sundays or playoffs football you you can't recover from that. You're done. Then so going back to Iowa. Uh, you know, I played for both Coach Ryan and Coach Ferris. I owed them a ton. 
I do. I went to Iowa as a quarterback. <laughs> I remember Coach Price always get on me for running because if my number one read wasn't open, I mean, I had I never went through progression. If my first read wasn't open as a freshman during training camp, I just ran. And then Bobby <laughs> Diaco would lay me out. And Bobby Diaco, uh, you know, went on to be the defense coordinator at Notre Dame and the head coach at UConn. And Bobby just put me on the ground every single time. So that didn't last long. Okay, I moved to DB after my uh, my freshman year. And Chuck Long was their DB coach. And, you know, Chuck Long was one of the Heisman. And Iowa lost a real close race to Bo Jackson in uh, 86. And that's why, you know, it's funny because I went to Iowa. I wanted to be the next Chuck Long. He's from Wheaton, Illinois. Went to Wheaton North mm-hmm. High School. And Chuck asked me, point blank, he said, Matt, do you want to play on Sunday? And I said, well, yeah. Who does it, right? Because it's not going to happen at quarterback. So why don't you switch over and play defensive back for us? I did. It took me a couple of years. You know, I was freshman year. I played special teams. My sophomore year, I got to play in the sub packages, and I started my junior and senior year. Um, you know, the battles with Michigan stand out to me. They really do. Uh, because of two games that I wish I could have back. Uh, when Michigan won the national championship in 97, we were at the big house. We were up 21-7 at halftime. It was 14-7. They punted it to Dwight. I couldn't believe it. Like, eight seconds left in the half. And Dwight took it back to the house. So it was 21-7. We go to the locker room. Michigan's undefeated. We're having a really good season. We're in the top 20. They came back and beat us 28-24. Brian Greasy beat us. And then my junior year, I always remember this. Brady beat me on a slant route to Ty Streets. And Ty Streets from South Side of Chicago played in, played in the league for a long time. And we were in cover zero, which cover zero means a blitz. you're blitzing, you have no help. And Ty Streets kind of gave me a, a little out move. And I, you know, I took the bait and Brady beat me inside. We lost that game 12 to 9. And those games stand out. But really, from Iowa, it's my teammates. Those are my best friends in the world. Still are. Um, and we went through some ups and downs. Obviously, in Kirk's first season, we did not have a successful season in Iowa. And anytime you go through a coaching change, uh, especially at the college level, you know, it's, it, it, you're building a brand new program. There's a lot of different things, a lot of new things. But I love coach parents. Uh, I love the man. I think he's so special, so unique. Chris Doyle, the strength coach at Iowa, great relationship with him. Phil Parker, who's now the defense coordinator. And being able to play for the late Norm Parker before he passed away. Norm was an excellent man. And that's the thing about Iowa football. There's a, there's a you know, in football we always talk about team culture and how important team culture is to winning and building a winning culture, the right culture within your program. The Iowa culture is unique. It always has been, always will be. The University of Iowa, we're not getting the five-star recruits like Ohio State. We're not. We have to develop people. That's why Chris is so important in the weight room. That's why the culture of Iowa football, which I always believe in, and how things are done out there, the accountability that's required, the toughness that's required, the physicality that they play with. You know, Coach Nagy's offense, you don't see that in Iowa City. Iowa City's downhill, zone right, zone left. Big on big. Oh, yeah. You know? You know, that's what Iowa football is. And the school itself, I've always said Iowa City is a magical place to me. It always will be. Whenever I go out there, I always feel great when I cross the Mississippi River going to Iowa. I just do. I have a lot of friends who still live in Iowa City or raising their families in Iowa City. Anyone out there who's looking to move to Iowa City, I'd recommend it 100%. Great schools. You're in a university town. Great energy in the town. Great place to raise family. And also a great place to go to college. Be a part of that football program with Kirk. It is one of the best. Um, and really going back to the NFL, the friendships I made through the NFL. 
you know, when you're my age, I'm 41 now. I mean, the wins and losses. I mean, as a former player, you, you never forget that stuff. I think it's a, it's a part of who you are and and the teams you played at, the coaches you played for. Uh, but I had great experiences with guys I played with in the league who I still talk to. A lot of my former coaches I still talk to. And then when you're a journeyman like me and you bounce around from team to team and you have injuries, you have to meet a lot of different people. And I was lucky enough to play for Joe Gibbs in the Hall of Fame. Coach Steve Spurrier, who I love. We didn't win enough games for him. We did not win enough games for him in Washington. Mike Sherman in Green Bay. Dick Turan, a former Bears coach. Dick Turan, when I was in my last year in Buffalo. And Marvin Levy, the general manager. Awesome, awesome person. So I think it really, that's why I brought up how, how much relationships play into having a winning team and a winning culture. Relationships are huge in football. They're more important than the playbook. More important than height, weight, and speed. Because guys, listen, in two weeks, we're not going to talk about what any of these guys run the 40. They'll never run a 40 again. Now it'll be time to play football. Now it'll be time to fit in. Now it'll be time to act like a professional and have that maturity level to be accountable. It's a big transition, a big jump from college football. Okay, you don't have the support staff anymore. You do it at the college level. You do not. You're on your own. And the way you fit in is doing things right. Doing things right and competing. That's it. If I'm a coach, that's all I want out of a rookie. Do things right. Be on time. Be accountable. You're supposed to be in the weight room. Be in the weight room. And compete like crazy at practice. Everything else, development, that'll take care of itself. We'll work on that. We'll teach you that. And the more game reps you get, the better you will adjust to NFL speed and physicality. But you got to have the, you know, you got to have someone who loves football. Has Some people call it football character. I think that's so important, Billy. No doubt about it, Matt. And you know what? I think that's going to wrap it up for tonight. I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day and joining us tonight. Uh, We appreciate it. I know all our listeners will as well. And on behalf of everybody, thank you so much for this insightful discussion. It was great, Matt. I mean, you go so in-depth with everything. And from one Hawkeye to another, I just want to thank you so much. All right, guys. I really appreciate it. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Take care, Matt. Thank you. Nick, that was really cool. I'm curious. What was perhaps your biggest takeaway from that Matt Bowen interview? Man, there was so much that Matt talked about, but I really liked uh, hearing what he had to say about the DBs and just all the little technical stuff that, you know, you and I, we really don't know about it because we, I mean, we played in high school, but that was about it. Like, all the little things that DBs have to do with, uh, especially communication, that's going to be key in any kind of defense. But when he talked about how a defense is going to have to, how they're going to, what they're going to have to do facing Coach Negi's offense, it just all the things that he talked about in there, that was most interesting to me. Just hearing about the little details that, you know, normal, not normal fans, but just the average fan doesn't really know about. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think mine would be just how high he is on Trubisky in this offense, even despite this whole Cameron Meredith now going to New Orleans. The fact that he is just still super high on Trubisky, enough that he thinks he's still in contention to be the number one quarterback in this draft class is, you know, it raised my eyebrow for number one. But just how much he believes in this system, how much he thinks it's going to put, uh, of course, our second year quarterback in a better position to succeed. You know, we've talked about it all offseason long, but to have Matt on and have someone of his expertise, his knowledge base come on and kind of like verify all of our gut feelings here. I think that's pretty cool. It really is. But uh, Nick, any final thoughts before we sign off? You know what? Not really. I think Matt hit on it. Uh, It was a great podcast, but yeah, we're ready to roll. 
Awesome. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Bears Brothers Podcast. I hope that you found Matt Bowen's insight to be of value. I mean, I don't know how you couldn't. We're going to be back next week, and our topic, I th- honestly, I think we're going to have to transition because I was looking into the schedule release. Uh, it seems like sometime next week the NFL is going to go ahead and release that full 16-game schedule. So we're going to go ahead and give you our full analysis of that as soon as possible after it's released, which is going to push our mock draft special to the week of the draft. My goal is to do that Monday where I have to check everyone's actual work schedule to make sure it's possible. To do it that way, you have a few days to digest that before draft time rolls on Thursday. And don't forget, we're going to be there as soon as the Bears are on the clock come Thursday night as well as Friday and, of course, all the way through Saturday as well. Draft week is only two weeks away. I can't wait. But until next time, bear down, Chicago. Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com.